And uh, we're delighted to have uh, the Reverend Paul Hills with us today to lead us in our worship. So I'll hand over to him. Well, <laughs> Thanks very much. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, I'm Becky Ogston's dad, all right? So, you know, it's all right. That, that places me in the right sort of framework of things. The psalmist says something like this. How wonderful is the place where you live, God? Everything about me wants to know you better, to find that you are the living God. I know you're going through a series uh, of of studies, of topics, and the one that uh, I've been asked to talk about today is proclaiming God's promises. And the passage of scripture that we're going to look at is uh, in Acts chapter 13. Um, And uh, it's actually 13 through to 52, which is a very long way. So I'm going to read bits of it. and I only hope that I've... <laughs> is it all right, John? I might not read all of that, do you think? Okay, yeah. okay we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, from, from verse 13 in, in, uh, in, in Acts 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That was John Mark who was with them. From Perga they went to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul God made David their king. God testifying concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want of him. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you are looking for. But there is someone coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Then I'm going to verse 38. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to attain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And we'll we'll leave it just there. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We want to hear from you what you want to say to us today. So please 
Give us hearts and minds that are open to you. And may we rejoice in the goodness of your promises to us in Jesus. Amen. I've got a confession to make, first of all, and an apology to you. Um, Because when I was preparing this particular sermon, it came out in three bits. And it came out in three bits with the same letter at the beginning of each bit. I apologise, I'm sorry. It's just how it happened. I don't do it deliberately, but it's what happened. So you've got, you've got to stick with that, I'm afraid. Um, it's worth remembering that we as the Church of Jesus Christ today, we're not, what, we're not everything. There's a tremendous history that stretches back of what God has been doing down through the ages with and through and for his people. And it's based upon his promises. That's what we're looking at. And that, we are part of that, but we're just part of an ongoing movement of ever richer, ever better things that God is doing, God is bringing about. And that's what we're going to find out about here, because in this passage, God is showing his attitude and his plans for the world throughout history. And I'm trying to make the thing move forward, but it won't at the moment. So John, could you push it on for me? Because it's probably easier. And in this passage, we see this especially happening through his people, Israel. But it's not just about that people. The first thing that we notice about this, if it goes on again, John, could you do it for me? Is that what the promises of God are, are rooted very much in God himself. If you look through this passage, it's what God has promised, what God is doing. So, We see he's the God of the people, first of all. He chose them to be his people, especially his people. He's the God who gave them leaders of various sorts, the judges who led them at different times and helped them out to support them and to to lead the nation where it should be. He was the God who brought David into the situation. Someone after his own heart, he said. Someone special to set up uh, really a whole new Uh, kingdom in a sense that was not just going to be a physical kingdom because he also God uh, brought Jesus as this as in a descendant of David to set up a kingdom that was not just going to be a physical one but would be a kingdom that would be for all times all places and ultimately for all people as well and that in order that that might be shown God raised Jesus from the dead and in doing that God is the one who promises life for people. Uh, the forgiveness of sins and a life that will take, will take, take flight into eternity. But again and again and again, it's God doing this. The promises of God are not just written down things. They're rooted in his very being. It's his nature to make good things for his people. It's his nature to promise good things for his people. God as the Apostle John said, God is love. And that at its root and at its circumference, if you like, is a reminder to us that what we're about as God's people, hearing his promises, seeking to live them out, we're in touch with God. That's the crucial thing. We're in touch with God himself. But the second thing, here's another R coming up, is that these promises were received into historical realities. It wasn't theory that was going on here. God was actually doing things. So, the people of Israel, you know, they they were in Egypt, 
and they were oppressed in Egypt. And it was God who brought them out of Egypt, giving them freedom. Freedom, the promise was, you will be a free people. And and God delivered that. And then he said too, there will be a new land for you to live in. He promised that and he delivered that. And he said to them, you also need somebody who is after my own heart to look after you. That's David and he delivered that as well. But there was also something going on that was much bigger than all of those things. And that was he was going to break the power of sin. To make it possible for us to no longer be under the burden of our own selfhood. Which is really what sin is about. If you look in the Old Testament you see that the original sin was simply saying to God, I can do things on my own. I don't need to obey you. I want to be... uh, in charge. That's the problem with Adam and Eve. And that really is at the root of what sin is still today, isn't it? And certainly I think most of us wrestle at times with the fact that there are things we want to do that we shouldn't and we do them, or there are things that we should do and we don't do them. And it's simply because our lives so often revolve around us. But in Jesus that changes. In Jesus, God delivers the person who, through the power of the resurrection, is going to enable us to be free from that. So, it's received into a historical reality. But there is yet more, because this is also revived through God's family. I'm sorry about this old business, but you know, it's how it works in your head sometimes. In other words, these are things that are not just for then, but are very much for now. They are, in fact, for all who, who want to be part of God's family. In that passage we read about Paul preaching in a synagogue where there were people who were Jewish folk and they're also converts to Judaism, Gentile folk. Later on in the passage, if you want to read on, you will see that he also talks to people who are beyond that as well, who are folk who are not from the Jewish nation at all because the promises of God were not limited to one set of people. They were for the whole of humanity. That was what God's heart was for, not just for a section of people, but for all people. And so... What he does is create this new family that we've already been talking about. We tell you good news, Paul says. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, his children, by raising Jesus. You see that? There's the new family. We are all children of God because of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's as we allow God to be at work in our lives as we place our trust into him that this reality begins to take root in us and as uh, well actually uh, the very end of the passage I didn't read it I'll read it again later on but it said and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit there is an experiential element if you like that God entering our lives turns them around gives joy to them gives hope to them fulfills faith in us as we trust in God. So, all who trust become children of God. And what basically Paul says is you've seriously got to think about this. So in verse 46 he says, Then Paul and Barnabas said, We have to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. There was a serious element to this. This, There must be a response to the promises that God has come from his heart, that he's shown in history a reality, and by his spirit he's bringing about in our lives today. So that's the challenge, I suppose, 
that we need to look at. Let's just have a quick look. Firstly, we see that we're not proclaiming a theory when we talk about God's promises. We're talking about God himself. And the result of that is that there is joy for us as we find ourselves set free from wrong, as we open our lives to the way in which God wants to transform not just us, but our families, our places of work, our society, really. Sometimes I think we don't realise just how big God's promises are. And you have to look in something like the book of Revelation to begin to see that. Where you see the, the, the image of a new heavens and a new earth being established. That God's plans are recreation, as it were, or fuller creation of the creation that he's given. And that that will touch so many different things, so many elements of us, and so many elements of human life. It's not just about individual people. It's about communities that can be changed, that can become more than they ever thought they could be. And the fact of the matter is, in the history of Jesus, we see this reality happening. In the history of the early church, we see this reality actually happening. And in the church today, we do still see it today. I think sometimes we forget exactly what God is about. But think a bit about your own experiences. What has God meant to you? Where have there been times when you've, perhaps you've been a bit in the, in the doghouse or something like that, and you've found something has happened to change that, and it's been God? Or that there's been a need that you've prayed about, and it has actually got meant. Got, got met. And I know there are lots of other things that don't always seem to happen. Sometimes God says to our prayers, you've got to wait for a bit. Yeah, okay. But remember the things that God has done. And remember the things that he's personally done for you. What about this last week? Think a bit, just for a moment. God looks on you in love. That's truth, okay? Do you all agree with that? Thank you. I've got a few nods. I'm sorry, you're not all asleep. Are you awake, Steve? Oh, yes, he is. Yeah, okay. Um, God looks on you in love. Okay, think about this last week. Can you think of anything in that last week that's made you joyful? A bit of Because God was involved in that. Because God loves you. Can you, think about, can you think about something in that last week that made you feel loved? That made you feel somebody really cared about you? Well, you've got chocolate this morning, the fellas have. Come on, you've got, that's, that's something, isn't it? That's something. Well, once again, that's God's behind that. God loves you. What about, well, what about something that's made you feel close to God? Has there something challenged your faith perhaps or enlarged it or encouraged it? Can you think of something like that? Just have a think. Because again, God's been involved in that. And was there something that just made you feel alive in this last week? Is there something that really just stirred you up and made you think you were alive? I sincerely hope there was something, because you're all sitting here now, so you are alive. Well, once again, that's God. It's been at work doing that. Because God in Jesus has come. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us joy. He wants our lives to be richer, not emptier. To be more whole, not broken. And although we won't find that fully in this, this particular stage of our existence, it's going to be coming. It's going to be a work. So, here's a challenge then. A challenge to receive this reality on a personal level, which we've done, I trust, and we'll be doing. But also as a family, to give that out as well. 
Because, well, why would we want to keep it? And I'm trying to make it work again, John, thank you. We're told that Paul and Barnabas said that we are witnesses of what of this reality. We can show you something of this reality, and that's us as well. And really, you can't fail to be a witness. Shall I tell you why? <laughs> you can't fail to be a witness because you're either a good one or a not so good. <laughs> because what we are is going to show something about God, is it not? I would think so, really. You know, it isn't just, and it may be in our words, if somebody comes to us and says, well, what is this God business all about? Well, you, you tell them, that's a witness. But it may also be in the fact that our next door neighbour is in a bit of a trouble or something, and so we go and help out. Or that we are concerned about a particular issue in, in our town, so we go and try and sort it out. These again are witnesses when we say we're doing this because Jesus is the one that we're following, and he loves and he wants us to be better. We cannot fail to be witnesses. The issue is really just how good a witness, as it were, are we? What are we being witnessing to? To God, to his action, to his power in the church today. That's what we're looking for. In a few moments after we've sung again, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper. And really, this is a reminder of what's been done for us in Jesus Christ. It really is. A reminder of his death, of all that that must mean. I mean... It's not Easter at the moment, so we don't go into it in too great a detail in one sense. But we know he gave himself an act of love that we cannot really fathom, but really we can enter into. And as we celebrate this, we're reminded that it didn't stop there at Jesus' death. He's alive. He came back again. Remember the the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Uh, when Jesus was with them and, and he told them all about things and he, he was resurrected, they didn't understand, they didn't see him until he broke bread, until somehow something reminded them of what he'd been saying. Maybe they saw the nail prints in his hands, I don't know. I think it was simply the breaking of the bread. It suddenly, it all fell into place. Jesus is alive. And the bread and the wine are a reminder that Jesus is alive. And as we take it, it's a reminder that we can share in that life. And that life is a real thing for us to know today. That's, that's fantastic, isn't it? This is the stuff of real life that we can allow to leak into and flow into, not just our Sundays, but our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and every aspect of them. Because... God loves us in all of those days and all of those uh, times. And his promises, his promises that we will have forgiveness when we turn from our wrong, that we will know resurrection life, those promises he keeps. And the history of the church reveals that to us.